You're a 415er. 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. We are back. Yes, we are. The 415ers podcast, as always, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Download, rate, and subscribe. Five stars only. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you as always. Mark, my good man, what is going on? It's uh, not too much. Happy Friday, Evan. Getting ready for another weekend full of football. We've got uh, some big college football games. We've got a great weekend of uh, NFL football I am looking forward to it. Should be one of the more exciting weekends of the year. No doubt. No doubt. Week seven and the Kansas City Chiefs are coming mm. to Santa Clara. Pat Mahomes, Andy Reid, four and two after a loss last week for the Chiefs. We're going to preview that game coming up in just a little bit against your three and three 49ers. Of course, after their week six loss on the road to Atlanta, they come home. Hopefully get they get some home cooking and they will have some help perhaps with some um, attendees from yesteryears as on Sunday, it is going to be the 10 year anniversary of the 2011 then 12 team that made the conference championship in the first year under Jim Harbaugh. It is not official for the 49ers yet. They have not reported it, but it is at least expected that Jim Harbaugh will be in attendance on Sunday, along with a lot of players from that 2012 team that made the conference championship. Of course, they went to the Super Bowl in 2013, 2014, also a conference championship appearance. So a lot to love about that era of 49ers football that hopefully will have a lot of people in attendance on Sunday. First, I just got to start, Mark, like, I think it's pretty exciting to have that amount of, you know, history back in the building. Granted, of course, they played at Candlestick last time that Harbaugh was in the Bay, but to have them be back at Levi's Stadium against the Chiefs, a big game for the team and um, a great opportunity to celebrate one of the better parts in recent memory in 49ers history. Uh, yeah, I mean, my first thought is like it's hard to believe it's already been ten years. I mean, I remember that that season, that playoff run, like it was just a few years ago. I mean, it was Alex Smith that started the season. He goes down against the Rams back when they were in St. Louis. Colin Kaepernick comes in, it wasn't particularly effective in that first game, from what I remember. I think that actually that game actually ended in a tie. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I know at least one game against the Rams did end in a tie. The other one went into overtime as well and was nearly a tie again. Uh, but then, you know, Kaepernick kind of took the league by storm. The, the rest of the league wasn't really ready for a, an elite running quarterback like Colin Kaepernick. And, and he led the Niners all the way to the Super Bowl along with, you know, a really good defense. Um, and they fell just a little bit short, of course, but they won the NFC Championship. Kaepernick had a record-setting performance in that NF or in the NFL in the NFC divisional round that win against the uh, uh, the Green Bay Packers where he ran for you know 150 yards or whatever it was against the Packers so my first thought hard to believe that it's been 10 years also my second thought is I'm kind of surprised at the reporting uh, I think Tim Kawakami was the first to report it of the athletics saying that Jim Harbaugh is gonna be there uh, because you know this didn't end well between Harbaugh and the 49ers, Jed York and Trent Baalke, the GM at the time. It did not end well. It was not pretty. The two sides clearly didn't like each other very much. Maybe time is 
you know, the only thing that could kind of fix that relationship. But a little surprised to me that that uh, he was willing to come back for for something like this, considering the way things ended. So we'll see how it goes on Sunday. Well, I do feel like with Michigan so happening to have a bye week this week and, you know, the 49ers planning this obviously months, if not years in advance, um, I have to imagine that Harbaugh and York, at least for this weekend, are being good sports and at least temporarily burying the hatchet because it does take a lot of planning on both sides, Harbaugh, as well as the 49ers to essentially accommodate him to try and get him here. Right. Well, the, the only reason let's be real. The only reason Harbaugh is coming is so he can say hi to Ambry Thomas, right? His former cornerback. <laughs> like, that's the only reason. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that's the best theory, honestly, that I've heard thus far, um, because you're right. No, things did not end exactly amicably after Jim Harbaugh's fourth season. Uh, but what he accomplished here is nothing short of spectacular, especially I, I know we talked a lot uh, in our last episode about how expectations sort of dictate the way that you look at a season. Well, Jim Harbaugh's first season and then into the year where they made the run to the Super Bowl, um, not a lot of people expected the 49ers, especially in that first year, to be very good coming off of a 6-10 and 10 season under Michael Mike Singletary. So, you know, Jim Harbaugh, for all of his flaws, uh, is a large part of, of a successful period in 49ers football that yourself, I know a lot of my friends that are from the Bay Area, all of us sort of look very fondly on those four years, despite what may have happened behind the scenes. So I think it's going to be really cool. And even though they did come up a little bit short in the Super Bowl to the Baltimore Ravens, um, I mean, to have hopefully the amount of players that along with Harbaugh reported to be there uh, is going to be very cool for the fans. And I'm hoping that a lot of fans that also um, you know, were in attendance for a lot of those games at Candlestick are able to make it out to Levi Stadium. Yeah, I mean, it should be fun. I mean, that era of 49er football just filled with so many great people. I mean, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman throughout their entire career, you could argue the best linebacking core uh, across football. I mean, the Cowboy Justin Smith was a fan favorite. You had uh, some hard hit hard hitters in the defensive secondary. Frank Gore, I mean, he's one of the most beloved 49ers of all time. Maybe, you know, besides, you know, some of the players, you know, that won all those rings in the 80s and 90s, perhaps Frank Gore, the, you know, the most loved 49er, you could probably make that case. Uh, so it should be a, a great, a great afternoon for fans uh, to celebrate that 2012 team in that era, 2011, 2012, 2013, where they went to three straight NFC championship games. Um, I think also that era, and I know we'll kind of compare and contrast that team to to this 49er team or maybe some more recent 49er teams, but I think that era of 49er football, maybe it was a little a little easier to, you know, be so in love with. I don't know. They 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 gave you more reason to get fired up, you know, like their head coach was the one that was screaming, you know, who's got it better than us in every, you know, post-game locker room. You know, if if Twitter was as big of a deal back then as <laughs> it is now, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how everyone would have reacted, but I think it would have been generally very positive. Uh, you know, there's the, the famous video of him, what, smacking the shoulder pads of Alex Smith and then, you know, slapping the helmet, really getting his quarterback amped up. Maybe that doesn't do anything for... Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever the case is. But my, my point is, I feel like 
the way that that 49er team carried themselves and, and, you know, there was reports that a lot of the players, you know, kind of got tired of Jim Harbaugh's act. If you want to call it that after a while, um, and, you know, a lot of people say it, it works better in college than in the NFL because these are grown men, you know, with family and you don't need to, you know, go through all of that, you know, extra energy to, to get these guys fired up. But I think from an outside perspective, from a fan's perspective, with a head coach like that, that's so kind of over the top, I think it becomes a little bit easier to get so incredibly amped up for games. And you look back on that era, despite the way it ended pretty ugly, uh, you look back on that era, I think a little more fondly, um, just because you remember all those moments where you were just so giddy because your head coach was so clearly into it. I mean, you think back early, I think it was the first year when, when after beating the Lions on the road, the two teams early in the year were undefeated and they were kind of both the surprises in the NFL. And he slaps Jeff Schwartz, you know, on the hand and gives him a hard pat on the back. And Jeff Schwartz quickly turns and is like, what are you doing? And that was one of the great moments in the Harbaugh era as well. So you have so many of those moments, which I think make it maybe easier to, uh, I don't know, to look back fondly on, on that era of 49er football. So long story short, should be fun to kind of bring up those memories again on Sunday. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think it's it's appropriate that they are coming back, obviously 10 years, you know, the anniversary, but specifically for now this era of 49er football under Kyle Shanahan, you know, along with John Lynch, Jed York, um, because in, in a weird way, the you you, t- you touched on something I thought was interesting about how it's the Harbaugh era was a very easily identifiable you know kind of identity that the 49ers had and it started from their head coach and went yeah. on down it was a lot of fun uh the the word that jumps out to me first and foremost is culture like 49ers culture was identifiable it was easy to understand and it was easy most importantly for fans to get on board with because there was winning there was excitement there was entertainment um and there was just not a lot except until the end to really frown upon except for maybe you know falling a little bit short in the playoffs but now with the 49ers under Kyle Shanahan they do have a lot of similarities now, not as head coaches. And this is kind of where I want to go next because Jim Harbaugh to me is the ultimate culture guy. He's the ultimate you know, leader of a football team when it comes to head coaches. Whereas Kyle Shanahan is certainly not that exuberant and um, outgoing as a guy like Jim Harbaugh. He does not wear it on his sleeves. And he also is more of, a, a technician when it comes to coaching. Their two styles are very different, but their teams right now feel kind of similar. I know the players are different. Their characteristics are different, but Kyle Shanahan, like Jim Harbaugh, loves to loves to run the ball, loves to play smash mouth football. The identities of both teams lie primarily on the defensive side of the ball. And so I'm curious, Mark, and and I'd love to have people chime in and, and tweet at us. I'm at eGettings10. Mark is at Mark Grandy, Mark with a C, Grandy with an I. You know, just where you feel that these two sides connect and maybe also disconnect, because to me, there's a lot more similarities between the teams, even if the head coaches don't necessarily meet most fans, I would say, in the same kind of category. 
I I also think maybe there's uh, a bit of a line we can draw. You mentioned the culture. I I, I think there are. I'm not saying that this was the point you were making, but I, I think you know when we think of the Niners under Harbaugh and the Niners under Shanahan, the big difference, and this is what we've been talking about, is the way that the head coaches you know go about their business. You know, Harbaugh, is, as you mentioned, you know he wears his emotions on his sleeve and and you know outward outwardly to to anyone, not just his, his players in the locker room, but to the media, to anyone. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is much more reserved, but I, I think we probably need to be a little bit careful i mean i i think the niners culture now uh you could probably argue is is better than the harbaugh era culture it, it's just different it, it's a different way of going about it i mean when was the last time we heard i don't know a, a nasty story from inside the niners locker room i mean i i don't i can't think of one in a while and I, I think you have to credit Kyle Shanahan for that now that there have been some missteps um, in the past under Kyle Shanahan but I, I think in general uh, the culture has been really really good and, and he deserves credit for that uh, it, it was a really fun atmosphere under Jim Harbaugh but there were also reports and this is part of the reason why Jed York and 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 Trent Balky and everyone decided that it was time to part ways because Jim Harbaugh after a while tends to kind of rub people the wrong way. He's, he's a really big personality. He, he can kind of get on your nerves. And I'm sure there was some of that within the 49er locker room, especially from, you know, some of the veteran players who had been around the block for a while, who are 10 year veterans who are, are kind of not in the need of, of that kind of energy from their head coach. So I think there's a line there and, and I think it's important to differentiate, but I agree on the field, these teams you know, that era and this era, very similar. They're going to rely on the run game to set up the pass game more often than not. And their defense is the star of the show. Uh, we talk a lot about Patrick Willis and, and Navarro Bowman. Uh, Fred Warner has, has been there for this entire, you know, successful era of 49ers football. Uh, he's been the leader of the defense alongside Nick Bosa for the last three years. Of course, Fred Warner was here before Nick Bosa was, but uh, he, he's been phenomenal. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between these two teams. And, you know, I think you go even further on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, what was maybe the weakness of each team's defense? Probably the secondary. And that's that that's the case for the Harbaugh era. Not to say that they were poor defensively in the secondary, but uh, the strength, probably the front seven on both on both rosters. So I think there's a lot of similarities there on the field, considering um, you know, how different they are elsewhere. It, it kind of makes for an interesting comparison. Well, and, and that's kind of where I want to go now, Mark. And a reminder to everyone to download and rate, rate and subscribe to the 415ers podcast three times a week, as always, on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy with you. This is where I want to go next, because since they are so similar, I thought we might be able to have kind of some fun and, you know, be forced in a way to kind of pick some sides. I'm sure there's a uh -oh. lot of fans that are feeling that way, maybe going into this weekend of, gosh, I'm going to remember the all the great times that, you know, Harbaugh and like you mentioned, Willis and Frank Gore and, and Kaepernick gave us and Alex Smith as well. But, you know, now the also the current 49ers have also given you a lot of great memories under Kyle Shanahan's tenure, especially after or beginning with the 2019 season. So, if you had to pick a team, there are two teams that have gone to the Super Bowl 
one of them is being honored this weekend. The 2012 team for the 49ers or the 2019 team for the 49ers. If you had to choose, Mark, which one would you go with? It's like picking between, you know, your children. I don't know how you pick. I don't have any kids, Mark. I don't have to deal with that. <laughs> I mean, me neither, but I imagine that's what it's like. Um, out of the 2012 team, what, they beat the Packers that first round of the playoffs, the division rounds. They came back from down a bunch against the Falcons on the road in the NFC Championship game. Similar story in the Super Bowl against the Ravens, but they fell just short. Uh, that was when what, Beyonce, Beyonce shut down the Superdome when the lights went out at halftime. She did, uh, <laughs> yeah. Came down to fourth, fourth and goal. Um, and then let's see the 2019 Niners. It was the the uh, run heavy win against the Vikings, and then the uh, dominant an even heavier run win <laughs> against the Packers yeah. in the NFC Championship game, and then of course the loss to the Chiefs. Uh, opposite of of that 2012 team in the Super Bowl, this 2019 team was ahead, and then uh, you know lost the lead late. That's tough. I I tend to think that it was something that. Kyle Shanahan said, uh, at, you know, this week, I, I believe it was on uh, Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, may, no, maybe it was Wednesday. I'm not sure. He, he spoke earlier this week and he was asked about, I think it was Wednesday. Now that I think about it a second more. Um, but he was asked about that 2019 team and kind of what he thinks of and how he remembers that team. And he says, I love remembering that team because I thought that we were the best team in the league all year long. And unfortunately, they fell a little bit short and they ultimately finished the second best team in the league. I think, Evan, in, in terms of how, you know, that, that team compared to the rest of the league, those two teams compared to the rest of the league, I think the 2019 team might have been a more complete and a and a more spectacular team to when you when you consider what they were going up against throughout the rest of the NFL. I think they were more dominant than the 2012 team was. So I, I guess going off of that, and I mean, they were one, you know, stop away from, from winning the Super Bowl that year. Of course, the other team was one completed pass or a four yard run away from winning. It's like splitting hairs, but I think I might go the 2019 team. I think that team was maybe just a little, a little bit better. Hey, I certainly can't fault that. And and you bring up an interesting point that the 49ers that season were, I think a lot of people would echo Kyle Shanahan's sentiment that they were the best team from week one until the Super Bowl. They just, yeah. of course, were 10 points, um, maybe a little bit better at one point than Kansas City, and then the Chiefs uh, flipped the script. So, you know, they were very close to being the best team all year long, which I don't think is something you can say about the 2012 49ers team. I mean, the record is slightly better, 13 and 3 to 11 4 and 1. But the reason that I would take the 2012 team is I, I think just because at least to me aesthetically, it was a team that I enjoyed watching more. And it could have to do with the fact that I was younger, knew less about the game, um was a little more involved in the Bay Area sports scene then than I was in 2019. But to me, like I'll never forget Colin Kaepernick going for a buck eighty-one against yeah, the Packers. That was fun. I, I'll never forget them coming from behind against the Atlanta Falcons in an and, NFC title game. Do you remember how that game against the Packers started? Colin Kaepernick, his first postseason drive, throws a pick six, and you're thinking, "Oh my God, where's Alex Smith?" And then he runs for 181 yards. 
And then he demonstrates why he is one of the more dynamic quarterbacks to maybe be forgotten, you know, throughout the, the annals of NFL history, because he was extremely dynamic. Like he was in, in a lot of ways, you know, what kind of um, some of the dual threat quarterbacks are, are modeled after. I know he wasn't perfect. It certainly wasn't as accurate as some of the guys are nowadays, but with his ability to burn you on the ground and also beat you through the air with a flamethrower. Uh, I, I just love watching Kaepernick play. I love watching that team run the ball with Frank Gore. Uh, and I love the the smash mouth defense that they had with Willis and Bowman. But my eyes were always honestly drawn to, to the Smiths. Uh, Alden yeah. and Justin up front were incredible. The way that Justin Smith would essentially take two offensive linemen, one which he, which uh, with each arm and just push them backwards and then allow all day Alden just to get into the backfield seemingly at will in, in at the time, maybe his sophomore season. Um, to me, I know that, look, they had a chance to beat the Ravens, a team that you could argue they were better than just like the 2019 49ers may have been better than the, the Chiefs. Uh, but to me, I, I would give the slight edge to the 2012 team personally. That's interesting. And I mean, Justin Smith, we've both mentioned him now. I know you're talking about how he would just, you know, demand so much attention and allowed Alden Smith to, to kind of roam and, 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 you know, be that elite sack artist. Um, you know, we talk a lot about Nick Bosa in that way that he just demands so much, so much attention that it allows everyone else on that defense to eat and to get to the quarterback. It's interesting though, because, you know, you talk about kind of the, the smash mouth football, of that 2012 team. And you could certainly say that the 2019 team and, and even the Niners now are, you know, they, they still play that same brand of football. They want to win in the trenches. They want to run the ball and they want to stop the run and sack the quarterback. But the stars on the defensive line are so different. I mean, Justin Smith compared to Nick Bosa, both elite, fantastic players. But as you mentioned, Justin Smith will just take on two or three linemen and just push them backward all by himself. Nick Bosa obviously is a physical specimen and he can power rush you, but it's his flexibility and his quickness and, and the way that he can get super low to the ground and get underneath blocks and then get around linemen. They do it different ways, which, you know, kind of comparing and contrasting is fun to do. But yeah, that just watching Justin Smith bulldoze multiple linemen at the same time was was certainly a fun time. Okay, well let's let's play a different game now, Mark. Uh, since okay. since we're we're choosing between the 2012 you know Harbaugh era 49ers team and 2019 on Shanahan era 49ers team, we've discussed where we fall on the Super Bowl runner up squads. Mark's taking 2019. I'll take 2012. Now let's go through some players, Mark. Let's go through some players oh, because man. don't make me pick again. I'm going to, I'm going to force you to pick from your non-existent <laughs> children. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start at the quarterback position and I, I kind of tip my hand, I guess uh, with, with my pick, but Jimmy Garoppolo or, Oh, I feel bad leaving Alex Smith out of this uh, because yeah. he was integral part about of, of the team before. Um, but just with, with, as, as we're doing the super bowl runner up teams, Colin Kaepernick or Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I'm going to answer this question, but I just had a thought pop into my head. Uh, we could do a quarterback room. I mean, I guess the, 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 uh, Super Bowl team didn't have Trey Lance yet, but a quarterback room of Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith or Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, where would you go there? Um, but I will, I will get back to your, 
original question. I like that. <laughs> um, 2019 Jimmy Garoppolo or 2012 Colin Kaepernick? I think just for the pure excitement level and kind of the edge of your seat nature of the you know that 2012 Colin Kaepernick year, I think I'll go Kaepernick. He was so fun to watch. He obviously had his shortcomings. And unfortunately, his career in the NFL was cut short, not through any fault of his own. Um, I I think Colin Kaepernick, he was so incredibly fun to watch. And you always had a feeling watching that team, like the NFC Championship game, like the Super Bowl, you get down by three scores. Uh, the way that he was able to explode with his legs, he had a cannon for an arm. You never really felt out of games. Not to say that, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't pull off some important, you know, trailing drives to lead the Niners back in 2019. He certainly did. But it was never that same explosion from the quarterback position. So I guess for the excitement level they provided, I'll go Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I think that uh, and I kind of explained why during my explanation of why take the 2012 team. He was just a quarterback that I'd never seen before. I loved watching him play. I do think the quarterback room though is interesting. Um, and just by the nature of us not knowing what Trey Lance is going to be, <laughs> I am, uh, I'm a glass half empty individual. And so I'm going to go with what I know. Uh, I don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. He could be, he, he could be freaking Steve young for all I know. Uh, but, Right now, he is not. And by the nature of that, I will take the 2012 quarterback room. Yeah, I guess it's easier to take that one, considering you you know what you're getting with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. And, uh, well, I, I already said I'd, I'd take Cap over Jimmy G. So if I if I like the one over the over the one, then it'd be hard for me to, you know. I'll I'll take, you know, the, the unknown. You know, maybe I get lucky and maybe he becomes great. So I'll take the uh, the Lance Garoppolo quarterback room. Well, we'll look back on this later. Uh, okay, so all right, the next uh, part, I want to go to the defensive side of the ball. Right. And I know we talked about Justin Smith and Alden Smith, but to me, the leader of that defense for the 2012 49ers team is is unequivocally Patrick Willis. Now with the leader of the 2019 team, and maybe he wasn't, you know, a, a veteran, but between Patrick Willis and Nick Bosa, who would you take? Mm, interesting. I always, I have to get in my head, you know, back to rewind to 2019, because I think it's, it's easy to maybe get, get lost in what we know now about these players. Um, and, th- and that, that I, could certainly influence where you want to go. I mean, I know Patrick Willis wasn't, I mean, that, that 2012 year was <laughs> in a weird Sounds funny to say, but it wasn't his best season with the 49ers. Yeah. So, and Nick Bosa, that also wasn't his best season uh, compared to, I mean, geez, what he did a year ago. And what he's doing so far this year, coming so off far. Of, you know, two years removed from an ACL tear. Um, I think, oh man, the nostalgia in me is, it's tough to, to shake. I, I, I know I originally picked the 2019 team, but my first two picks here are going to side with the 2012 team. Patrick Willis uh, I think there's a lot of 49er fans out there who extremely, extremely happy that Patrick Willis got out of the game when he did unscathed. You know, there's so many stories of, of NFL veterans, especially 
you know, players like Patrick Willis who are involved in so many hits to the head who have struggled, you know, post football. But Patrick Willis, you know, he cut the cord relatively early. Um, so I think there are Niner fans who, you know, emotional about Patrick Willis's retirement and again, a, a general, generally early leave from the game. So I think there's a lot of, you know, emotions there and, and respect for Patrick Willis. And of course, one of the best linebackers of the era. Um, I'll, I'll go Patrick Willis once again. He was so fun to watch in an era where where big hits were uh, allowed a little bit more. He delivered a lot of them. Uh, I'll go Patrick Willis, the leader of the 2012 defense. Yeah, I, I do think. Look, and I'll I'll pick Nick Bosa for okay. argument's sake, but also because, and you kind of got my brain working earlier when you mentioned how you know Justin Smith and and Nick Bosa you know, against the pass and the run, very um, different styles. Yeah. Uh, but to me, Bosa in a weird way is is kind of Justin Smith and Alden Smith sort of wrapped into one. He like he, he can play the run. He can he can play the pass, obviously. He can get to the quarterback. Uh, but when he's on the field, they are such a different football team. And not to say if you take Patrick Willis off the 2012 team that they're not at their best. But to me, Nick Bosa is is such a game changer. And he also doesn't really have as much help as as Patrick Willis or Justin Smith or Alden Smith did. They were such a complimentary and and ultimately an understandably dominant defense in 2012. But the 2019 version of Bosa is to me what skyrocketed them to being the best defense, to being, as Kyle Shanahan mentioned, the best team from week one up until the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter. They were the best team in the NFL. And I think with the identity that they had on defense, Nick Bosa is their leader. I think on a different day in 2012, Patrick Willis absolutely could be the number one player. But there were some days when Navarro Bowman was incredible. There were some days when Alden Smith took the took the torch. And so Nick Bosa to me, um, that that's why I would would pick him there. Uh, last last comparison. I know we went quarterback, we went defense. I do. I, I think there's two similar players though on the offensive side of the ball that I'd be curious to know who you would take between the 2012 49ers team and the 20, 2019 49ers team, and that's at the tight end position. Hmm. And that would be Vernon Davis or George Kittle, Mark. Who would you take? Uh, not a slight at all against Vernon Davis. Uh, one of my favorite players growing up, you know, in 2012, let's see, I was, what, 16 years old. Uh, Vernon was one of my favorite players on that 49er team. But George Kittle, I, this is uh, maybe the easiest of the three for me. Uh, how good really? he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how good he is as a blocker. Um you know, and, and he's a fantastic pass catcher as well. And, you know, you, you think back to that 2019 Super Bowl, once the Chiefs took the lead and the final, you know, seconds were ticking off the clock, it was all but over. George Kittle on the sideline mic'd up saying, I will get back here. I will be back here. I don't know. That, that sort of thing just perfectly encapsulates who George Kittle is. Just an, an unstoppable force of of will is, is what George Kittle is. And he shows that on the football field and off with the way he goes about his business. Uh, George Kittle over Vernon Davis for me, pains me to say, uh, but I'll, I'll go Kittle. And I will take Vernon Davis because I know that the tight ends that came before Vernon, and it took him a while to sort of find his place in the NFL as a former first round pick. But, you know, I'm thinking about 
the Tony Gonzalez's, the Antonio Gates, eventually the Rob Gronkowski's, those are mm-hmm. kind of the, the peak tight ends in the NFL, but none of them ran a four, three, like yeah. Vernon Davis was so different, maybe not from tight ends nowadays because, you know, Kyle Pitts is amazing. I'm just trying to think of athletic freaks at the tight end position. Nowadays, there were not many of those when Vernon Davis was playing on the 49ers and specifically when he kind of got unlocked uh, in that 11, 12 and 13 range. I mean, I can only think about him as being like the number one option in that 2012, pardon me, 2011 playoff run that fell a little bit short in the conference title game to the giants, but he had 300 yards in two games and four touchdowns. Like he was incredible. And just the moment of him, you know, coming off the sideline against the saints after catching what would be the oh. game with touchdown and crying into Jim Harbaugh's arms, uh, that sort of stuff sticks with me. So as much as I understand that George Kittle is a more complete tight end than Vernon Davis, to me, Vernon was in similar ways to Kaepernick, kind of ahead of his time at that position. And I think if he did play nowadays, Vernon Davis with that speed and that size would be a problem. That's why I would take Vernon Davis. Yep. Catch part three, you know, against the Saints in the end zone from Alex Smith. But maybe the 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 best Niners football moment uh, in, you know, the last 20 years or so. Uh, I'm not going to argue with you. Good pick. I like it. All right. And with that, uh, a quick reminder, of course, everyone, that these episodes come at you three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Evan Giddings and Mark Randy with you. As always, go download, rate, and subscribe. Okay. We've done enough. We've done enough with uh, you know the historical references. <laughs> we, we've done enough with the comparisons. I, I kind of wanted to make Mark choose a little bit, put him on the spot. I appreciate that was you tough. hanging in. Ugh. It's definitely not easy. Uh, and again, like we talk, kind of talked about at the beginning, we're simply splitting hairs, you know, between these two great teams that made the Super Bowl. But the latest one to make the Super Bowl and come up short, the 2019 team, of course, lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, led by Patrick Mahomes, led by Andy Reid, led by Travis Kelsey, who now come to Levi's Stadium this Sunday, a 125 kick in week seven. The 49ers are coming off a loss, as we mentioned off the top. The Chiefs are also coming off a loss at the top. First thing I want to mention, Mark, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have only lost back-to-back games. I think I went through it today. I believe it's three times. Now, it's happened once in each of Patrick Mahomes' uh, three seasons, but it does not happen often. And the 49ers are getting a chance to maybe make it the fourth, maybe not. But I'm just curious, your first initial overall thoughts on this game, one that could be huge for the 49ers if they fall below 500. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, Chiefs coming off a loss, as you mentioned. Niners also coming off of a loss against, uh, you know, different opponents for sure. The Buffalo Bills, most people's, you know, pick to win the Super Bowl. It was in Kansas City. Uh, the Niners, of course, coming off of that tough two-score loss to the Atlanta Falcons on the road. Niners back home after, you know, two straight weeks on the East Coast. You know, getting back, you know, that first week back can be a little challenging sometimes. Um, but it's, it's of course, a big game for the Niners. It's it's obviously a really big game for Kansas City as well. I mean, yeah. rem- remember now in, in the NFL with seven playoff teams, there's only one buy up for grabs. Uh, the Chiefs with two losses essentially are looking at a two-game deficit from the Buffalo Bills, who are five and one. They're on a bye this week. 
So the Chiefs can pick up some ground, but because the Bills beat the Chiefs straight up last week, it means the Bills, they have the tiebreaker. If the two teams were to finish with the same record at the end of the year, the Bills would be the one seed. So all that said, the Chiefs, if they want a chance to be that one seed and to get that really important buy in the playoffs and to to potentially have a home AFC championship game against the Buffalo Bills, they got to pick up wins and they got to pick them up in a hurry. So this certainly means a lot to them as well. And my first thought, something that you mentioned is uh, once those bills beat the chiefs last week, I thought, Oh, that's danger for the 49ers who would that they themselves are good coming off of losses under Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, but not quite as good as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, So my first thought is, you know, two teams who could desperately use a win. And I think it's going to be, Pretty competitive, you know, coming down to the end. And and Vegas agrees. Kansas City right now about a two and a half point favorite uh, over under at 48 and a half. I know we will we'll do predictions at the end of the episode here, um, but I expect a, a competitive game um, and it, it should be a fun one. So uh, don't go away. And if you can't get out to Levi's Stadium, uh, make sure you're all set up for a 125 kick because I it, it could be, you know, maybe the game of the year for the 49ers. I think it, it could be that fun and, and that competitive at Levi's. Yeah, I do believe it will be because as much as it seems like the sky is falling in San Francisco and maybe Santa Clara, uh, as much as maybe the sky seems like it's falling in Kansas city for the chiefs who just lost to a team that they're, they have beaten in the playoffs each of the past two years and have reigned supreme over in the Buffalo bills. They are now second behind them as you uh, so succinctly put, I think there are a lot of parts of this game, at least just on paper, that I like about San Francisco's chances. And I think the line is reflective of that, as you mentioned, with you know two, two and a half points being the difference for a home underdog. And the 49ers coming home off an East Coast trip, I, I believe also are in a situation, Mark, where, look, they're expected to get Trent Williams back. Mm-hmm. expected, you know, as everything, if it lines up, Nick Bosa practiced on Thursday, will likely pra- practice Friday, may be back for that game, probably will be back. So you're getting two of your maybe most impactful players on each side of the football back against Kansas City. And you're going up against a team that even though has lost, has shown holes in their armor in a way that I don't believe that Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid have shown in past years on both sides of the football. And so I'm really just curious where you want to start, because to me, if I'm the 49ers, even though it doesn't seem great, you got doubled up by the Falcons, a team that's inferior to you on a lot of different planes. There's also a lot of reasons to be optimistic against Kansas City. At least that's the way that I see it. Yeah, I I think there are. And, you know, Tyreek Hill, of course, you know, is gone and he kind of takes out that deep vertical threat. This is still a really good offense in Kansas City, but they're not nearly as explosive as they have been in years past. I mean, last week they put up 20 points against the Bills. That's a really good Buffalo defense. Niners are right there with them, if not better, you know, especially when they're fully healthy. Um, So I'm not you know, I don't think this is going to be a game where either team gets into the 30s. I'd be relatively shocked if that does happen. I think it'll be, you know, low 20s most likely for both teams. If it does, it's probably bad news bears for San Francisco. I would agree because I'm not sure the Niners offense can put up that, you know, you know, that, that, that kind of point total. This is also not a bad Kansas City front. I mean, 
Chris Jones is a menace on the line. Uh, the Niners are going to have their hands full, which is why it's fantastic news that Trent Williams is likely going to be coming back because that just takes so much pressure off of everyone else on the offensive line who, despite the fact that, you know, they've been taking some flack. I really don't think they've been that bad when it straight up comes to protecting their quarterback, no sacks allowed against the Falcons. We talked about this last episode, some really bad penalties on Jake Brendel uh, last week in Atlanta. But when it comes to protecting the quarterback, I think they've been pretty good. Trent Williams will only make that better. He'll help get the run game going as well. But for me, Evan, I think the key to the game for the 49ers, it's pressuring Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, easier said than done. He's mobile. He can extend plays. But I think specifically, it's putting pressure on Patrick Mahomes without drawing up blitzes by D'Amico Ryans. He's shown a willingness to blitz more often this year than he has last year. And even earlier in the season, the last you know number of games for the 49ers, they blitzed more often. It came back to bite them a little bit in Atlanta when the Niners blitzed on that third and 14 or third and 15 play where Marcus Mariota then evaded that pressure and ran for a long first down gain. Um, I think the key is pressure pa uh, Patrick Mahomes without blitzing all too often. Can the four down linemen get to Patrick Mahomes Obviously, Nick Bosa's status will be hugely important in that because if you can make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable with four rushers, you've got eight guys dropping back. You can put two on Travis Kelsey. He's still going to get his, but you can limit the big gains. Don't let him get over 100 yards. He'll probably get around you know 60 or 70 at the least because he is just that good. Uh, Kyle Shanahan said he has the best hands in the NFL. He will make some catches, but make Patrick Mahomes uncomfortable with four uh, with a four-man rush without blitzing, and you're going to have a really good chance to win this game because even if Mooney Ward is unable to go, which it looks like it's trending that way, the Niners, they have the ability to cover and, and line up against this receiving core for the Chiefs. Without Tyreek Hill, they're not nearly as difficult to cover. So I think the key to this game, making Mahomes uncomfortable with pressure without blitzing. It's it's a tall task, but I think that's that's what it's going to take. Yeah, I'm with you as far as Mahomes' weapons. I mean, Mark Marquez, Valdez, Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, neither of them are a Tyreek Hill on the outside. And even though they still have yeah. Nicole Hardman, uh, he's he's not your number one guy. It's Travis Kelsey or Bust. And I'm curious to see specifically that matchup between Kelsey and Fred Warner. Uh, I do sure. think that he's yeah. probably going to be the guy that's locked up against Kelsey one-on-one -on -one because even though everyone just says, okay, you go and double Kelsey – and you try and take him out of the game, well, one, he's shown you that he can beat double coverage if he needs to. Two, that leaves a lot of different weapons open, and if you're not blitzing and getting to the quarterback quickly, uh, Patrick Mahomes is going to pick you apart. And even if you do blitz, he is one of the best, if not the best, uh, when he sees a matchup that he likes on the outside. I think this game comes down for the 49ers to, if they can run the football, and I know that sounds simple, but the Chiefs on paper, they're rushing is a little misleading, I believe. So right now, they're in the top 10 as far as yards per attempt against, as well as touchdowns, but also overall attempts. When you're playing with the lead, 
teams typically do not get to run the football on you. And that's what the Chiefs generally operate in, an advantageous position where they are ahead. Now, I think if you look at Pro Football Outsiders DVOA, they're more middle of the pack against the run, about 14 or 13th. So they're still pretty decent, but they're not as good as maybe some of the baseline statistics would lead you to believe. And when the 49ers run the football, which I believe they can, even though they didn't didn't do so against Atlanta, obviously they are a much better football team. So the game, the games that I'm looking at, the 49ers are maybe defensively up to the Bills standard. They certainly are. They are not offensively, but I believe they can try and take a bit of a, a piece out of the Las Vegas Raiders book. I know the Las Vegas Raiders came up a bit short against the Chiefs a few weeks ago on Monday night. They lost that game 30 to 29, um, but they ran for 155 yards. They kept Patrick Mahomes off the field. They kept that defensive front that you talked about led by Chris Jones at bay. I think that defensive front is a little better. You know, once they have the lead, they can pin their ears back. They can get to the quarterback when they are in positions where they can only focus on the pass rush. When they have to do both, they're a little more, they're a little more, um, I think easy to get to. And so I'm hoping that the 49ers from the get go, hopefully as Shanahan, you know, his, his script, the first 24 plays or whatever involved the run. I know that he's typically been throwing the ball a lot early in games, especially yeah. on first down, but I think that Kyle Shanahan gets back to the run and needs to do so 30 to 40 times. If they're going to have a chance to beat this chiefs team, that's where I see the 49ers taking a step from last week on the ground, in the run game, where I believe the Chiefs, even though the metrics might show you what they have done against teams this year, against the Bills, against the Raiders, they show that they have some turnstiles up front if you can create some sort of consistency in the ground game. Yep, and and I think, you know, we've already hit, you know, pressure of the quarterback. We've hit, you know, the run game. Obviously, both hugely important things. Uh, you're not going to win many football games, especially against quality teams like the Chiefs, uh, if you don't win or at least come out even on the turnover battle as well. And the Chiefs, you know, generally speaking, they're not going to force that many turnovers. Now, they don't turn the ball over very often either with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Just six giveaways, combination of fumbles and interceptions thrown. That's, you know, top 10 in the league. But you look defensively, they've only taken the ball away from their opponents five times this year. That is near the bottom, tied for 26th in the NFL with five takeaways by the Kansas City Chiefs defense. So Jimmy Garoppolo, Jeff Wilson Jr., Debo Samuel, whoever is carrying the ball, whoever has the ball in their hands often in this game, and probably will be those three more than anyone else, uh, take care of the ball. Do not put the ball on the ground. Jeff Wilson Jr., you had an unfortunate fumble that was returned for seven points against the Falcons. You cannot survive that this week against the Chiefs. Do not turn the ball over if you commit zero turnovers in this game. Uh, you get maybe one turnover. You know, maybe you get a nice play from the secondary forcing, uh, you know, an interception. Maybe you get a strip sack. Nick Bosa on Patrick Mahomes. You get the ball and you turn it into seven points. Uh, that it's it's an obvious one, but it's important. Um, and I think there is an opportunity for this offense to take better care of the ball. Uh, and, and I mean, you look at the Niners right now, turnover differential this season, they're minus two, which is, you know, the bottom third of the league. Uh, they were minus three last week. So, you know, the first five weeks, not bad. You were plus two last week, really bad minus three, the chiefs uh, as a whole, 
despite the fact that they do not turn the ball over much. Again, their defense has struggled to force turnovers. They're minus one in, in turnover differential, just a tick below or ahead of the 49ers in that statistic. So I think there's an opportunity there for the 49ers to at least come out even, if not win that turnover battle on Sunday. All right, well, let's get to it. Mark, prediction time. Sunday, October 23rd, 125 kick. 49ers host the Chiefs in week seven of the NFL. Jim Harbaugh is likely going to be in attendance. Other members of that 2012 Super Bowl runner-up team are going to be in attendance, hoping for maybe more of a rah-rah victory against the Kansas City Chiefs because the 49ers will absolutely need the energy from the crowd, maybe the energy from 10 years ago, if they're going to want to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. I will take the 49ers, Mark, in this game. I believe it's going to be a game that isn't necessarily in the teens, like a lot of fans may believe the 49ers need to beat with uh, against the Chiefs. The reason being, the Chiefs give up a lot of points. They're giving up 25 points per game. That's in the bottom you know, 10 in the league. The other thing they do not do is when opponents get in the red zone, they do not stop them. They do not turn red zone attempts into field goals. They are 29th in the league in terms of red zone percentage uh, that other teams convert into touchdowns or scores in general. The 49ers, I believe, even though their offense was anemic last week outside of a couple of drives in the first half, I believe they can put up points against the Chiefs. I don't think it's going to be in the 30s like we talked about earlier, but I think the 49ers can find a way to edge the Chiefs in this game. I'm going to say... 24 to 20. The same score that the Chiefs lost last week to the Bills mm. is going to be the same score that they lose to the 49ers on the road at Levi Stadium in week seven. All right, 24-20. So not only do the Niners cover, but they win straight up. And the under hits, those are the picks uh from Evan Giddings. All right. Um, I'll go same, you know, score total for the vic- vic- victorious team, excuse me, 24 to 23 in favor of Kansas City. I think they get it done. It's a game that comes down to the wire, and ultimately, it's who do you want at quarterback. Uh, You know, I think Patrick Mahomes will lead the team on a game-winning drive. We might have a Harrison Butker field goal for the win at the buzzer uh, to push Kansas City out on top over the 49ers. 24-23 Kansas City over the 49ers is my prediction. The Niners cover, Niners cover, but they can't get the win on the under hits. 24-23. Kansas City. All right, you heard it here. Uh, I'll I'll take the Niners. Mark will take the Chiefs. Understand? I hate to do the it, minor, but the Niners do cover, Mark. So for those cover. of you that are wondering about that two and a half mark, Mark is on the 49ers. You know what they say: good teams win, great teams cover. So <laughs> that is what they say. Uh, I believe that was for the victorious team. <laughs> yeah. Although so... we, we we've had some fun with that. Uh, in the past. <laughs> oh. Wow. Uh, no, appreciate you, Mark. As always, uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. Hopefully, it's a 49ers victory. Hopefully, hopefully, there's a lot of fun, uh, both in the pregame, I assume, halftime festivities, as well as hopefully on the field, the 49ers can get a W. Uh, but it's going to be an uphill battle, and I am looking forward to it, Mark, maybe more than any other game on the 49ers' schedule this season. Yeah, no, it should be really fun. The Rams and this one, to this point, I think are the two most hyped games, and the, it'll probably stay that way for the rest of the season. I agree. No doubt. Well, we'll talk to you on Monday. This has been the 415ers podcast, as always, brought to you on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy signing off. We'll talk to you on Monday. Appreciate you.